We're looking at verses 1 through 5 together this morning as we continue our series of messages on 1 Timothy. We've been in the book of Timothy for about 15 weeks now. And uh, we're coming to an end. We're in the last chapter now. Chapter 6 is our last last chapter, but uh, we've had a long, long journey in 1 Timothy. So today we're in chapter 6. We're nearing the end, but we're looking at verses 1 through 5. And I hope you have your Bibles with you. What do you look at verses 1 through 5 as I read them for us? And uh, if you do not have a copy of God's Word, well, we have it for you on the screen in front of you. So follow along. And I'll read, beginning in verse 1. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, They are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge on them. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Well, that brings us to the end of verse 5 of our scripture passage this morning. Well, this morning, as I begin, I share with you a story that was shared by a mother who was sending her son off to high school. This was a new step in the life of their family, and these are the words that she shares with us regarding that step. Our son had graduated from eighth grade and would soon be entering high school. He was the first of our children to reach this point in life, and I was a novice at giving parental tips concerning the pitfalls lurking in the new environment of higher education. Nevertheless, I sat down with an air of assurance and discussed the experiences and temptations he must be prepared to face in high school. I had hoped that our little session had made an impression on him. It had. I overheard him tell his father later, well, I'm ready for high school, but I don't think mom is. You know, when it comes to our children, pitfalls alarm us. Um, As parents, concerned parents, you know, we ask ourselves, will my child make the right kind of friends? Because wrong friends are a pitfall, aren't they? We also ask ourselves, will our children be able to stand strong and avoid the pitfall of peer pressure? That's a concern we have, isn't it? Will our children be accepted as God created them to be? Or will the pitfall of bullying 
rob them of their joy. For us adults, we too must navigate pitfalls. Sometimes our pitfalls are similar to that which our children experience and encounter. But for us adults, a lot of times our pitfall may be money. In fact, next week we'll be moving into a section of verses where we talk about how the love of money is the root of all evil. So money can, can become a pitfall. Also, pornography, drugs, alcohol, those things can become a pitfall in a person's life. Relationships can also become a pitfall. And if we're not careful, our emotions, they too can become a pitfall. Well, this morning, I want to share with you another pitfall that we must add to our list of concerns. And that pitfall is called false teaching. Some refer to it as heresy. You see, false teaching heresy is something that the church faces on a regular basis. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, need to be aware of that. Because if we buy into false teaching, the pitfall of false teaching, a lot of nasty things can happen in our lives. In fact, here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1-5, through 5, I see about 10 things that can result if we buy into false teaching. In fact, we're going to look at those 10 things this morning. If you have a bulletin with you, I invite you to turn to the outline of the message. And we're going to talk about those 10 things, those 10 results or consequences that can result in a person's life if they succumb to false teaching or heresy. So our passage this morning, I think, reveals 10 consequences of false teaching. We're going to look at them. And it's important that we look at these false teaching results because uh, here's why it's important to understand false teaching or heresy. False teaching brings destruction. Or as uh, the author John MacArthur said, he says, heresy in doctrine results in heresy of behavior. Okay, let me say that once again. This is John MacArthur's words. He says, heresy of doctrine results in heresy of behavior. To paraphrase, what you believe affects how you live. What you believe affects how you live. That is why it is so crucial to be aware of false teaching within the church because it brings destruction. Well, what does this destruction look like? Well, we're going to talk about that at a time. There's 10 things I want to pull from chapter 6 here, verses 1 through 5. Here's the first one. The first pitfall that will result from heresy or false teaching within the church is this. God's name and his teaching is slandered. That's number one. God's name and his teaching is slandered. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 6. Here's what it says. 
All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. Why? So that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Slandered. Now, we're not told a lot of detail here in these first couple of verses of chapter 6, but there is a problem in the church at this time. And, it's, and it focuses around or hinges around the whole relationship between a master and the slave. So there is something going on that is being experienced within the church. And what we're kind of seeing here is that the, the slave is, uh, is not giving the respect and honor that his master deserves. And uh, why that is, I don't know. It's probably because of perfect, uh, personal preference. But whatever they're doing... The, the, the slaves, whatever they're doing, it's bringing slander to God's name and his teaching. Okay? So what we have happening here is that these, these slaves have succumbed to some kind of false teaching. Something's been said to them that they think, hmm, that sounds good. And they have bought into it and they have implemented it into their life. And the result is, the picture is this. They have been disrespectful and are not honoring their master. So the first thing we learn here from verses 1 and 2 is that false teaching will bring slander to God's name and his teaching. All right? That's what's going to happen, slander. Number two, a pitfall that can result because of false teaching is that people become conceited. That's number two. People become conceited. Beginning in verse 3, we read these, ver these words. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. So, because of the pitfall of false teaching, people become conceited. Now, that word that's translated conceited here in our English translation, it's an interesting word. Let me just share some uh, thoughts about the word conceited. The word conceited means to be enveloped or engulfed in smoke. Okay? That's your word picture. So, someone who is conceited is engulfed or en enveloped in smoke. You see, a, a false teacher is someone who... Uh, is engulfed or wrapped up in their own smoke. In other words, uh, they are nothing but uh, hot air, okay? They're, they're windbags. That's what we got going here. And that's what the whole idea of conceited is suggesting to us. They're, 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 they're arrogant. They're, they're caught up in themselves. They're nothing but hot air. And that's what false teaching, okay, or heretical teaching will do to an individual who is teaching it, or even accepting and applying it. So the first, first one there is, you know, God's slandered, his teaching is slandered. Number two, people are conceited. Uh, moving on to the pitfall, number, number three, the consequence or result of false teaching. Number three is this, people lack wisdom. People lack wisdom. And we see that in verse four as well. It says he is conceited and he understands nothing. He understands nothing. He lacks wisdom is what it says. Now, this wisdom, what we're talking about, uh, it's defined for us. Wisdom is defined for us in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Take a look at that passage. See what it says? It says, the fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. So those who adopt false teaching or engage in false teaching, they do not fear God. Okay? God becomes just another person. Becomes the neighbor down the street. You know? There's a disrespect. There's a disregard for God because of false teaching. They lack wisdom. That's, that's what happens with false teaching. Number four, because of false teaching, people become controversial. Again, we're going to be looking at verse four quite frequently here. So keep your finger, keep your uh, eyes on verse four. Uh, false teaching brings controversy. It says, false teachers have an unhealthy interest in controversy. Controversy. Now, for example, here's an example for you. Uh, there still remains a battle within churches over which translation to be used. Okay? Uh, there's a battle that often rages you know, that people will argue that you need to be using the King James Version, using it only, because they argue that the King James Version is the inspired version from God. All other translations, the NIV or the Holman, Holman Study Bible, whatever it be, those, those are not the real thing. And those who use them, they're in error. Now, there is this controversy. They really believe that King James is the one, okay? They're, that's the one. That's what God, God gave us the King James version, not the other versions, so that this battle rages on. Now, understand, the King James version is a good translation, okay? The NIV, whatever Bible, you, those are all good translations. They are. But for some reason, man feels that one translation is better than the other, and in fact, put you know, we'll put God's stamp of approval on that. And what we have? We have controversy in the church. So that's the result of false teaching. That's the false teaching. Number four, or excuse me, number five. Uh, false teaching will, will uh, cause people to quarrel about words. Okay? He has an unhealthy interest in controversies, it says, and quarrels about words. Quarrels about words. Now, here's another example. Many skeptics will get hung up on the word Trinity. Now, the Trinity, as you know, is a foundational truth of the Christian church. Uh, the Trinity is the belief that God exists in three persons, the, the Father, Son, and, of course, the Holy Spirit. Very significant, very crucial doctrine to teach. We've got to get it right. But here's how the quarreling goes. The skeptic will say, you know what? Why do you believe in this Trinity bit? Because if you look at the Bible, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. So therefore, it doesn't exist. Why are you believing this? Now, just because the word Trinity itself does not exist in the Bible, we are told over and over, that God is three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what we've done, this is what man has done. Man has said, well, okay, how can we uh, come up with a word that would help def define or describe or help us you know, talk about this trinity, or three, the three in one, 
And that's, of course, the word Trinity. But there will be a quarrel. There will be an argument because they'll say, hey, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. And on and on we go. Well, that's false teaching. That's what it does. So we have controversy. We have quarrels. We come to number six here. It says people become envious. If you adopt false teaching, you can become a very envious person. Now, envy, let's define it. Envy is, feeling, is a feeling of displeasure that results from seeing or hearing of someone's prosperity. Okay, let me just say that again. Envy, an envious person. If you have envy, you have a feeling of displeasure that results from seeing or hearing of someone's prosperity. That's, that's envy. Now, the nasty thing about envy is that envy desires to deprive that person of their blessing. Okay? That's, what, that's what's nasty about envy. Envy desires, desires to deprive this individual of their prosperity. And it, for example, it sounds like this. You know, somebody gets a real nice pickup. It's the newest one that come off of the, the assembly line, and they bought it. They, God had prospered them, so they got that. And then down the road sometime later, they end up in an accident and total out the pickup. And some people will say, they'll kind of, kind of giggle. <laughs> Serves them right, you know. They've never done anything for me. I mean, I don't care if they smash their car. The one who should be driving it is me, right? That's envy. You see that? Envy. Okay. There's a displeasure that results because you see or you've heard of someone's prosperity. And you can see it. Remember, envy, it, it wants to deprive somebody. And so when something happens, there's, there's some, some celebrating, so to speak, some, some clapping of their hands that misfortune has happened to that individual. That's envy. That's envy. Pressing on here, we come to number seven. Before that, here, here's a quote for you. This is from Rick Warren regarding envy. Uh, he says, envy is resenting God's goodness to others and ignoring God's goodness to me. Envy is resenting God's goodness to others, but, this is crucial, but ignoring God's goodness to me. Number seven. Because of false teaching, heretical teaching, people are in strife. And we're still in verse 4 here. Not only have controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, we just talked about that, but strife results. Perhaps a better word that would help us get a hold of what strife is is the word debate. Debate. That's what results when you got some mixed up teaching in the church. We end up with some debates. Now, debates can be healthy, okay? There, there's some good elements to debating. But uh, there are debates that seem to agitate and rob of joy. Now, for example, come with me. Let's say we're watching Fox News, okay? I watch Fox News. But you know something I don't like about Fox News 
is when this debate gets going and they're screaming at each other, they're hollering at you, that their, their demeanor and everything they're saying is degrading of one another. You know, there's the rolling of the eyes, okay? There's the sarcastic jabs. That's the kind of stuff called strife. And I don't know about you, but when I've watched a show like that, in fact, pretty much I avoid those now because what does it do? It just stirs me up inside. How about you? That's called strife. That's called strife. And false teaching, if it's in the church, can do the very same thing. See, that's the destructive part of it, and that's why we need to be aware of it. We need to be aware of it. So strife results from false teaching. Number eight, there's malicious talk. Malicious talk results, again, looking at verse 4, envy, strife, malicious talk. Malicious talk is defined as rumor and gossip. There you go. That's what malicious talk is, rumor and gossip. Well, we talked about earlier about the Tasmanian devil, and uh, some of the information I didn't share with you is that, uh, uh, you know, the Tasmanian devil was uh, on a road to extinction, basically, uh, lost 40% of its population, and uh, they found out that uh, because of the biting, back and forth, the biting, uh, the, ta- the Tasmanian devil was uh, transferring a cancerous tumor. That's what was going on. And so this one here is pretty healthy. But, but what they'd end up with, and you can go online and Google the Tasmanian devil, and you're going to see really some messed up pictures of what resulted because of the disease, the cancer. But anyhow, they would get tumors, and as the Tasmanians would bite at each other and fight with one another over food, over territory, whatever, as they would bite at one another, bits and pieces of tumor would fall off. It would get into their system, and they too would become contaminated or poisoned by that particular illness. And it was all because of biting. Here's where I'm going. There's a similar threat to the church because we use our words not to bring life, but to death. That's malicious talk. That's malicious talk. Number nine, because of the pitfall of false teaching, evil suspicions ensue. Evil suspicions. What are evil suspicions? Here's the definition, evil suspicions. Evil suspicions are conclusions based on feelings or perception. Are you with me on that? Evil suspicion, or let's just say suspicion. Suspicion is based on feeling or perception. A conclusion is made by you because of how you feel or how you perceive something. And oftentimes, here's the tragedy. tragedy. Our feelings were wrong. Our suspicion or our, um, our perception of the situation was wrong. But our feelings, but because of our feelings and our perception, we formulated a conclusion. We came to a, in our mind, an understanding of what the issue is. And we were wrong. We were wrong. But the suspicion got out, and when suspicion gets out, it falls into the camp of gossip and slander. And then strife ensues, right? You see how it goes? 
It spirals out of control. But that happens because of false teaching, false information. Beware of that. Beware of that. And so we come to number 10 here. Number 10, the result of false teaching is constant strife. Well, we just talked about strife. Something I want to just maybe emphasize here, it's in verse 5. Uh, notice it says, constant. See that? Constant strife, constant friction. Uh, that's what results from false teaching. Uh, heretical ideas. The wrong truth is not out there, but lies. We have constant strife. It just, it's always there. It's always there. And, and something interesting about the word strife uh, again, another word picture for you. The whole idea of strife is uh, friction, uh, rubbing, rubbing against each other. We've heard of it getting rubbed the long, wrong way, right? Right. Uh, that's what's in this whole idea of strife, getting rubbed the wrong way. And when you get rubbed the wrong way, boy, put them up, right? You want to fight. And that's what false teaching will bring into the church. That's why we need to be on top of it. And that's why, that's why Paul talks about uh, these false teaching to Timothy here. He, he's, he's talked to Timothy on four different occasions about false teaching. Now, when we began our series here in chapter 1, if we go back to it, I forgot to read that verse. Can we go back to that verse, you think, Dave? Way back to the beginning, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, I think it was. Yeah, 1 Timothy 1, 3, and 4. Here's what it says. And this, this is how Paul begins his letter to Timothy. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. I guess what I really wanted to just emphasize for you, I mean, Paul has already on four occasions before getting here to chapter 6. He's reminded Timothy and he's exhorted Timothy, guard the truth, be on your toes when it comes to false teaching. Why? Because false teaching brings destruction. Her heresy in doctrine results in heresy of behavior. What we believe and think affects how we live. And Paul says, we got to protect one another. We got to protect our church. And we do that by standing on his word, his word. And so what is, uh, what is our takeaway this morning? Well, we understand that there's false teaching and it's going to happen. It's going to happen. How do we fight it? We individually, we need to be students of God's word because this is our filter right here. I love teaching and sharing with you God's word, but I, I can only go so far, you know. I can only go so far. I, I just let me encourage you as an application that you become a student of God's word because this is going to be your filter, okay? This is going to help you not to be envious, all right? This is going to help you live that lifestyle that will not slander your testimony or the teaching of God. This is going to help you, okay? This is going to help us all to, to be unified with one another instead of, you know, in friction where we're rubbing each other the wrong way. 
Where does it all happen? Well, it happens here. So just let me encourage you to be a student of God's word. I mean, that'll really please me, but you know what? That's going to put joy in the Savior's heart because you're learning about him and you're following him. Let's pray. God, thanks again for the challenge to be aware of the false teaching that can come knocking and intruding our life. Lord, it is a pitfall. And Lord, as we have learned this morning, pitfalls, man, it can mess us up. It can mess up your church. God, may we be that student of your word. But more than a student, may we be a doer of your word. For that's where the joy and satisfaction and blessing comes, is when we do what you have said. Bless your church this morning, Lord, as they depart. May they have a great week as they focus on you and serve you. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.